All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Sports Brief Podcast. I am Tristan Rancor. I will be hosting the show today, joined by the trusty steed, the squire, Colton Hall, will be the co-host today. And uh, how are you doing, Colton? Another day in paradise. You know, any day you get to talk about football on a Saturday, uh, or really any day, is, it, that's the goal, I feel like, you know? Yeah, 100%. And we got a special guest uh, this edition, episode, whatever the hell you want to call it. Mr. Brady Augustine, the uh, the owner and co-creator, Green Bay Packer Nation, a page I've fo- followed for definitely the past couple of years. I'm yet to become a supporter. I'm probably going to do that here oh. pretty soon. I, uh, I join as much as I can whenever you're live. And this is one of the pages where I feel like it's not clickbait. All the other Packers pages I follow, it's like the headline is some kind of drama about something. But Brady's page... You know, he gets straight down to the nitty-gritty, the facts, the good details, very level-headed. Uh, Brady, thanks for coming on the show, man. Oh, you're absolutely welcome. Thank for, thanks for having me. Of course. Hopefully, we can get you on uh, numerous other occasions besides just this one. But uh, I guess kind of the first thing, we're going to talk about some Packers, a little bit of Vikings, and then just kind of some random NFL topics today. But, of course, we're going to start off with some Packers talk because uh, we have to. Um, how's Sherm doing? He looks good over there. Sherm is masked up. I was <laughs> soundly criticized for by one of the guys. He's like, Where, when are you going to get Sherm a mask? <laughs> and just to explain to everybody who likely does not know, this is Sherm the Creepy Caddy. He's the Packer Nation good luck charm. So he actually gets strapped in with a seatbelt when I go to Lambeau <laughs> Field. And we have won those games. Save he finally did get take a loss against the Cardinals. But that got Mike McCarthy fired, so that ended up being a win anyway. So, Yep. <laughs> I hear you. That was, uh, I was, was uh, kind of ashamed that I went out to celebrate that night, but I did. I felt bad afterwards, but I feel like it needed to be done, and I'm glad it's over with. It was a long time coming, I feel like. Um, yeah. But we'll go ahead and jump into it here. The first topic that I got written down – well, first of all, today's the first day – of the Packers' actual practice. I think they're actually yes. practicing as yes. we speak. Um, and to kick off training camp, the Packers and Kenny Clark agreed to a four-year extension this morning worth $70 million, $25 million signing bonus, making him the highest-paid nose tackle in NFL history. This needed to be done. Um, it gets some money arranged because, obviously, there's a couple huge contracts coming up with David Bakhtiari and Aaron Jones. In my opinion, one of those guys is probably going to have to go next year. Um, who it is, we'll find out. But uh, what's your uh, what's your thoughts about that whole Kenny Clark signing? I feel like it's something that he's a guy we had to keep. I was really upset we never ended up keeping Mike Daniels. He just got signed for dirt cheap. I was kind of hoping we'd bring him back. But, you know, solidifying that spot on nose tackle with Kenny Clark was just something that had to be done. Yeah, I mean, the guy's elite at his position. He's at a position that I think is underrated, but since Petten came in, he made it very clear. I said all along, the shortest distance to the quarterback is through the middle of the field. And Kenny Clark can not only do the traditional, okay, I'm going to eat up a couple of blockers, three, four thing, um, with all the sub packages, you can just put him hand to the ground. He can, he, can cla- he can make the pocket really muddy. And I think everybody in the NFC North in particular realize that, especially when he's healthy. And and you know, we kind of got inkling because Mike or uh, Brian Gutekunst got on and talked about the situation with contracts coming up, and we know the money is going to be different this year. And you kind of had a feeling like you might get a chance to at least sign Kenny Clark or David Bakhtiari before this all gets going. And I'm very happy they signed Kenny Clark. Yeah, absolutely, Colton. You got any thoughts on the whole Kenny Clark signing? 
Well, ever since the Kenny Clark came out of UCLA, I think you have to look at a guy, or you were looking for a guy that was really going to come in and uh, we're almost spoiled. You know, we see guys like Aaron Donald that come in and, and get 12 sacks or 10 sacks a year. And my first in, initial opinion is, I don't know if he's going to be a 10 sack guy, but a guy that got eight sacks last year, I graded out, I believe, at a 79.8, uh, according to PFF last year. And then the year before that, at a 90. Point two. I think you found a guy that not only can provide a lot of pressure, but even against the Vikings, Vikings fans can definitely attest to this. Like Brady said, is that I mean, uh, against the run, he's very solid too. So anytime you can get a premier interior pass rusher um, signed up for a long-term deal, and also a guy that uh, he seems to be a good locker room guy and a guy that really plays the run well as, uh, as well. So uh, I think it's definitely a win-win for the Packers. Anytime you can shore up that middle, I'm definitely way more confident in the Packers' interior uh, pass rush and interior D-line than I am in the Vikings right now. So um, I think that's definitely something that uh, it's going to be not only something tough for the Vikings to deal with, but a lot of NFL teams moving forward, um, especially because now that not only do they have to account for Kenny Clark in the middle, but I mean, you get two of the, both the Smiths on the outside too. If you, so if you're bringing pressure from everywhere, at some point you're going to get home. So I think that's definitely, it's definitely big for, uh, I believe, is Ted Thompson still the GM? No, Brian Kudikis. He's not. Brian Kudikis, I apologize. Okay, still a great move for Kudikis. So um, I still think that uh, Kenny Clark moving forward, I expect him to actually have a, t- a double-digit sack uh season next year or this year, whatever you want to call it. So I think he's going to have a really good season next year. Yeah, he definitely should. Um, yeah, I was just so glad. I was so happy when I saw that this morning. I was constantly refreshing the Packers app, just waiting for some pictures of them practicing just to kind of provide some, you know, comfort in these times that football is finally back. They're finally practicing. Um, get to see my boy AR-12 out on the field. Not sure how I'm going to feel when he leaves Green Bay in two years because it's probably going to happen. But I'm just so glad he's with the Packers. I'm so glad that we get to cherish these times. We still have my boy. Uh, speaking of Aaron Rodgers, um, we're going to discuss a little bit about him and Coach Lafleur running their offense for the second year now. Obviously, last year was kind of a mesh between what Lafleur wanted to create and what Mike McCarthy had created. I think they kind of left some of Mike McCarthy's stuff um, installed, obviously, to get. Um, Lafleur stuff up and running, but I personally think um, there's going to be a very significant jump in the offense, uh, passing and running. Hopefully, um, Lafleur and Gutekunst have both kind of compared it to Lafleur's time when he was with Matt Ryan in Atlanta. I've heard him make comparisons a couple times when he was down there in Atlanta in 2015, I believe was the first year, and Matt Ryan. I mean, they were a subpar team. And then they make that big second-year jump. Matt Ryan wins MVP. They end up going to the Super Bowl. Um, And Matt Ryan just had a phenomenal year. And they draw a lot of comparison to that, and they mention it a lot. So I'm really hoping that is something they can do with Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. I think Green Bay has a better running game than Atlanta had that year. So, you know, I think the possibilities, and we're going to get into the running game, the zone running game here in a little bit, but um, that's just kind of what I expect. I definitely expect a big jump from the offense, especially um, the defense obviously made a good jump last year, and I expect them to be even better this year. But the offense, uh, it's hard to – I don't know. I feel like the possibilities are endless with this offense, adding A.J. Dillon. Um, obviously, we kind of took a hit with Devin Funchess opting out. I do think that was a bit of an underrated signing. I'm not – I wasn't super high on Devin Funchess, but I felt like he'd be a really hopefully steadily reliable type number two, three receiver. But they did sign Malik Turner. Um, to kind of aid that uh, wide receiver room. But I'm just super excited for this offense. The running back room is stacked, in my opinion. The tight end position is going to be a little up in the air. 
I've been pretty high on Jay Sternberger. I think he's going to be a really good tight end, pass-catching tight end. Um, they never really used him until, obviously, the playoffs last year, I believe, against San Francisco, when he had a few catches and a touchdown. But I feel like he's a guy who showed some flashes, who can play, and he can move around. But what are you, what are you kind of looking for out of the second-year offense under Matt LaFleur? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I like the analogy to the Atlanta Falcons. I would put in maybe the caveat because you mentioned A.J. Dillon. We might see, if you watch the Titans during the playoff run last year, what Derrick Henry was able to do down there. But you're right. I mean, last year, Packers fans, for all the kind of inconsistency, which is the term Aaron Rodgers hates to hear about the offense, but we did see flashes of an offense that looked just about as efficient as those Atlanta Falcons when they were playing really well. And, you know, how the hell they lost that Super Bowl, I don't know. But um, I expect, you know, one of the things that we saw last year, and this is part of the reason I am expecting a step forward, is, you know, we lost Devontae Adams and the Packers played well. They won those games. But then week five against Dallas, we had to move to a little more of an inside zone game. We kind of saw what Aaron Jones could do. Now, Aaron Jones, if the outside zone is really fully he's committed to it and it's under his belt I mean watch out because you know that kid can play now I'm sure part of that had to do with you know the way the Dallas Cowboys like to play football and that amazing you know linebacker core that they've got but I do think and there are some that say this isn't the case but I do think we are going to run the ball more I mean why would you bring Dylan on board you got this great running back group um, and you're still led by Aaron Rodgers now his comfort level I think is going to be up, you know, if, if I was say, uh, you know, Matt Stafford and you're bringing in Jonathan Swift and, and this is going to potentially be the starting running back, you know, we don't have that situation. You know, we've got pretty much, I've said, we kind of got a butt in every seat right now and they've all been there and done that. You know, you can pull Rick Wagner maybe out and say, well, we're not too sure. Uh, but this is a group of guys that should know how to run this. And then, you know, you, the thing I'm a little concerned about is Matt LaFleur might want to get a little too creative too soon. Um, the COVID situation to me, I think if there's, I don't want to say benefits, but if there's a team that, you know, those teams that have uh, veteran players in each of those positions, I think truly do have an advantage. And then if the Packers can get out of the gate, you know, early, of course, we got to play the Vikings and that typically is no easy road to hoe, but um I think this offense can be, like you said, I'm, I'm excited about it too. And I think the positions you kind of have circled with maybe a little doubt are, like you mentioned, we don't, the, the tight end position under, other than Mercedes Lewis is pretty much an unknown. I mean, you you know, I'm high on him too. Um, but then you bring in Josiah DeGuara, who's one of these slash guys, slash position guys, and uh, is not going to have any off season. Don't, I can't, I think it's just way too much to expect out of a tight end in general, much less a tight end that's going to be asked to do what Josiah DeGuara is going to be asked to do, uh, to expect too much in the first year. Uh, and then also, of course, the right tackle position. Now, um, we have seen, you know, Elton Jenkins came in, had a fantastic year last year. He didn't give up a single sack. Um, but if we see this outside zone develop, I mean, that whole outside zone came about because basically you can plug and play running backs and we saw guys roll out a thousand yards. Now you can't cut behind them like you used to before, but that's not the prototypical offense that Lafleur's running anyway. It's a hybrid. It's a Packer offense, and he's still got Aaron Rodgers. So you have to believe that some of the success, and I don't want to take anything away from Aaron Jones, but you have to believe that some of the success Aaron Jones has is because the Packers trot out Aaron Rodgers. 
listen to defensive players talk about how difficult it is to play. I mean, you got to either blitz everybody or just lay back and let them tear you apart. Well, Aaron Jones and the Packers offense, if we start running the ball more, I think it's going to get a shade bit di- more difficult for defenses because it's not just Aaron Rodgers anymore. 100%. And I believe Green Bay, we still have Robert Tanyan, right? Yeah. So that'll be, I don't expect him to have as big as a role as uh, Sternberger or DeGuara are going to be asked to have. But it's nice to have him as well. And did we sign Mercedes Lewis to a one-year? Yeah. Um, okay. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Big Bob Tanya isn't an unknown, but he still, as he functions in the offense, is an unknown because he had that great catch and then he had to sit out so many games, you know. But, but yeah, it'll definitely be interesting to see. And I think, you know, you look around the NFC North, what, you know, and, and I think, Colton, you talked about, you know, your defensive line and, and the potential of having trouble stopping the run. Well, that was the Packers' problem last year. The Lions I don't, don't scare me at all against the run. In the NFC North, I mean, who stops the run and – Really set one team or the other, whoever does it the best, up for some pretty serious success. Colton, did you want to touch on that at all? Well, I think he brings up a lot of great points, especially when you consider the fact that the 49ers last year uh, ran through everybody. It wasn't just the Vikings. It wasn't just the exactly. Packers. And I, th- I feel like, I don't know, this is two Super Bowls in a row that Kyle Shanahan has had. All he's had to do is run the football and win a Super Bowl. And, uh, you know, it, it's it's kind of tough. Maybe not in a row, but two Super Bowls, and at least in the last five years, that he's had a chance to win. And he couldn't run the football to win the game. So I think any time that uh, you have a running game like the 49ers uh, that really sets the tone for the rest of the NFC, um, I think it's tough, especially when you consider the fact that, um, you know, the Vikings will have Delvin Cook back this year. He did not opt out. I'm really excited about that. But also yeah, – Aaron Jones, like, I, I, I'm not going to say this guy was totally unknown. Like, I, I felt like this guy could break out, but with what Matt LaFleur brought in with this guy and what he incorporated through this offense and uh, what he was able to really uh, really make come Aaron, Aaron Jones come out of his shell a little bit, I think you're going to see two things. I think uh, you're going to see Aaron Jones um, come, uh, excuse me, Aaron Rodgers come out as a, a dark horse MVP candidate, not just because we're going to throw the Jordan Love situation out of there completely. We'll, we'll, we'll totally table that for the time being. But what I'm saying is Aaron Rodgers, now that he's not only in his second year, but now that he's got a running game in which he has a running back that tied for the run, uh, the NFL lead with touchdown with Derrick Henry, uh, with 16 last year, he doesn't have to throw the football anymore. The, he, this is not, uh, the, there's been the argument that Aaron Rodgers isn't himself lately. Well, he doesn't have to be. When you have a running game uh, with a running back like Aaron uh, Jones that really takes up a lot of the attention, really can still score and really shows what he can do, he doesn't have to be. But I still think you're going to see a lot of the old Aaron Rodgers this season, not just because of the uh, the, the Jordan Love situation, but because he, the pressure's off of him. He's got a good running game. His defense is much improved. Uh, yeah, he doesn't have a number one. like Other than Devontae Adams, he doesn't have a, a huge number one wide receiver or a number two, excuse me. But he's got... Uh, he's got Aaron Jones. He's got Jay Sternberger, who, by the way, I loved him coming out of college. I felt like the Vikings – I wanted the Vikings to get him. I really did. I felt like Kyle Rudolph, he is what he is. But Sternberger, um, then he kind of went to Green Bay and was kind of an unknown. Like uh, Jimmy Graham kind of uh, – uh, I don't want to say disappointed, but he didn't live up to expectations. And now that Sternberger is going to get more of an opportunity, I think you're going to see Aaron Rodgers kind of start to loosen up a little bit, let it fly a little bit more. And I think he's going to connect on a lot more deep balls this year now that he's more comfortable as well. So – um, I'm fully expecting Aaron, Aaron Rodgers to have an MVP-type season. Um, he's going to hit him on more of his deep throws, and, I, and then the pressure's off him this year. So um, watch out for the Green Bay Packers in 20-20. to 20. Yeah, I agree with your points you brought up. And you can't forget about the return. I've been pretty excited for uh, Equinemia St. Brown. 
Um, he was making really good strides two years ago before he was injured, and then he missed all of last year, I believe. I don't think he played at all last year, Brady. I could be wrong, but I think he was out no, the whole year. No. Yeah, he couldn't. Yeah, because they, they, they made that move before the final roster or something like that. Yeah, by rule, I think. Yeah, I'm so excited to get EQ back and Marquez, if he takes the steps he needs. Um, yeah. He's he's freaky fast. So, I mean, the sky's the limit with these Packers receivers. The, just, it's the inexperience that's going to kill him in the end. But I just really I just really hope this, uh, this zone running game continues to develop and get better because the, the more the inside and outside zone run develops, the more lethal Aaron Rodgers and his wide receivers are going to become because that outside zone running scheme i mean all the all the linemen move in unison to one side and they have to block a zone and zone running unlike other running there it takes a little bit longer to develop from the the snap to the handoff there's another tick from when you hand off the ball in a zone run to just a regular other type of run and that puts a lot of stress on defenders um i played a little bit of defensive back i played in high school corner zone running absolutely sucks to defend because it just takes so long to develop you don't know if it's going to be a handoff or it's going to be a play action and everybody's going to flood to the other side. Mm-hmm. So if they can continue to develop this running game, this outside and inside zone running game, then um, opponents are going to be in trouble, especially with this out-of-nowhere three-headed monster they have in the backfield. Um, I'm right. kind of disappointed. Dexter Williams isn't coming along as great as anybody thought he would. He did play in the preseason last year. I still like the kid, and I think he's pretty explosive if he can hit an open hole. But um, yeah. I think that's all going to be pretty gone with A.J. Dillon. Dexter is probably not going to make the roster. Maybe will be the last running back on the roster. But I was, I was super excited about that guy. But, well, and uh, there's, you know, one of the most underrated parts of the outside zone scheme is, you know, our guys have not been – our wide receivers aren't getting coached to block downfield under Mike McCarthy much at all, if at all. It's it's more of a – but it's it's very important and – specifically coached in Lafleur system. Now you look at the wide receivers we got. I mean, Devontae Adams isn't the biggest guy, but he's Devontae Adams. But then you've got, you know, EQ, like you said, 6'5", you know, and runs a 4'4". And then MVS is 6'4", and runs a 4'3". Uh, these guys, number one, they can catch the ball, but they can get on you fast, too, and they're being trained to do it. Alan Lazard is a big boy. What's he, 6'4", 6'3"? And, uh, and that, you know, you get, like you say, you get that space. And then if you have a back like Aaron Jones in particular and, and gets to the second level and the cornerback is standing there, what is your cornerback? He's 6'1", if you're happy, at, you know, 200 pounds. And you're trying to block Equinemius St. Brown that you're giving up three inches on and he's just coming at you so fast. That's a big body. And just to be able to see, well, you know, as a defensive back, to be able to see around it is as important as anything and w- with a guy like Aaron Jones running behind him. So, you know, yeah, we did see, I think, an uptick in the downfield blocking. This is guys like Geronimo Allison made this team and stayed on as a starter, basically not catching any balls. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think that's going to be an underrated part. If this team takes a step forward, a lot of it will have to do with, like you said, up front, that, that timing being better, pressing the hole, making the cut at the right time. But then also, you know, you get Aaron Jones into the second level. I think we might see some pretty significant runs out of him. The one ones like we saw to Dalvin Cook, to be honest, you know, last year, you know, when Darnell Savage takes a bad angle. So, hundred <laughs> percent. And speaking, we had mentioned the 49ers running all over everybody. I just want to say I am absolutely thankful they ran it down Green Bay's throat last year in the NFC Championship and during the regular season. It, it did suck. 
to not win the game and not go to the Super Bowl. But that exposed something in Green Bay's defense that's been there for a while. And that's the, the inability to stop the inside run and a lot of the times the outside run. And Blake Martinez, as great of a tackler as he was, I feel like he couldn't fill a gap to save his life. He couldn't cover a tight end barely to save his life. So he was very good once he you know, got to the point of the tackle. He always was in like the top three tackles in the league. But with the addition of uh, Christian Kirksey from Cleveland, I believe, and uh, you had mentioned to me over text that you think Green Bay might play a lot more small ball. Um, and I, I think they will. There's going to be a lot more nickel defense um, with Raven Green and what they want to do. They got Oren Burks back now. So I, I'm right. really excited about the interior of the, uh, the defense and the run defense. But uh, what do you think about that? Well, yeah, and like you're saying, and, and one of the keys, you know, how are you going to be able to do that? Well, you needed to get Christian Kirksey. He's not the most athletic guy, but he's very instinctive, and he was productive in the past. But then, to my mind, a couple of guys that, you know, you had talked about, too, are be, having Rashawn Gary in his second year, having Darnell Savage in his second year. You know, that safety position is pretty underrated. These are guys that end up being alley fill guys oftentimes if you can do it. And if you don't have guys that can do it, you can struggle. I think Darnell Savage in his second year right now um, can take a pretty big step. You know, he showed a lot of flashes. He got dinged up a little bit. But mainly, you know, and you hear Mike Pettin, and I'm not saying they're going to run more small ball, but they ran as much as any dime in the any team in the league in the dime package in particular. And I don't think Mike Pettin is going to, even though every team, every defensive coordinator wants to stop the run, so they're totally on board with that. But I don't think he's going to panic in the sense that we're we're too afraid to get we're too afraid of the run. Uh, especially in particular situations, um, to not get fast guys on the field that can cover quickly um, and and are a little more versatile, where we can we can you know play with the minds of the offense a little bit easier. Guys can drop out, guys can you know uh, mug the line of scrimmage and drop out and things like this. So, so yeah, I think you know if our run game is going to take a step up, we didn't do much to bolster the defensive line. Thank you. Thank goodness we uh, you know, got Kenny Clark locked up, but Rashawn Gary is going to be a big part of that, and I think Darnell Savage is one that should be circled as well. Yeah, 100%. And I was pretty – I was happy with the steps uh, Rashawn Gary took last year. He looked good. He looked explosive, but obviously he was living in the shadow of the Smith bros. Sure. Um, but as long as he continues to develop and do his thing, he's going to be probably close to a level as Preston Smith is. Um, I feel like he's got that explosiveness and he's got that size and speed that he can be one of those guys if they figure out how to use him and those two well all at the same time. Um, but about the interior defense, we got to bring up Everson Griffin. Uh, the Packers are one of the teams that had mutual interest with Everson Griffin in a signing, and I was I was all on board for it. Um, I didn't know what the price was going to look like, but I was like, hey, this could really help the interior defense. But he ends up going to the Dallas Cowboys with my boy Mike McCarthy, um, which I did predict, and I still predict, the Dallas Cowboys will either win or see a Super Bowl in the next three or four years. Because I believe in Mike McCarthy. I think he just needed a fresh start and needed to take a step back for a while. But Colton, what are your thoughts on the Everson Griffin going to the Cowboys? And what, how do you feel about the, uh, the Vikings uh, defensive line? Um. First of all, Everson Griffin will uh, be an all-time fan favorite uh, of any Minnesota Vikings. I don't care if the man, even if the man went to the Packers, I still think a lot of Vikings fans would still have a deep love for this guy. But I'm going to touch on uh, 
the, the Cowboys for a second, then I'll get back to the Vikings. You are absolutely right when you say that the, uh, the Cowboys are a dark horse uh, Super Bowl uh, team. They really are, especially now with the, the addition of Griffin, who um, I, I think you didn't just see a rejuvenated Griffin. You saw a Griffin that had a deeper appreciation for the game this last year. You know, coming out, he had some mental health issues. And sometimes as, as football, in terms of pressure, in terms of uh, all the things that football players go through, you, there's a lot of things that can get out of context pretty quickly. So I think it's, uh, it was really cool to, for him to see him come back this year and not only just uh, play the game like he does, but play it with the joy uh, and appreciation that I don't believe he had before. Um, listen, Everson Griffin is a game changer. Uh, and, the, and the Cowboys, uh, Jerry Jones went out and got something that he absolutely needed. That was a premier pass rusher. And that is exactly what Everson Griffin does. Ever since this man came out at USC, I was so excited. I was thinking, okay, we have Jared Allen, who's a for sure Hall of Famer. Uh, obviously, Griffin's not going to get a lot of play, a ton of playing time behind him. But you still saw Griffin contribute, get three sacks, eight sacks. Like He was still a guy that you were like, wow, this guy, once Jared Allen leaves, I think we have his replacement. And a lot of people... Thought that the Vikings were crazy when they signed Everson Griffin to a you know what was a forty million dollar contract four or five year deal. They were like, "What? This guy has not, you know has never really has never started a full season. Uh, obviously, was has been in Jared Allen's shadow for the first couple of years of his career. Uh, it was something that a lot of people questioned. I, on the other hand, I knew this guy. Okay, he could run. He was he was a four four guy. Uh, he was at two hundred and seventy pounds, six three guy that could uh, big size, but he was a solid two hundred and seventy three pounds. So um, I remember thinking, okay. Uh, this guy's going to be a game changer, and that's exactly what he was. So, in terms of what he's going to bring to the Cowboys, uh, and and getting back to the Cowboys here, um, I, I think that the the Cowboys didn't just get a premier pass rusher; they got a leader. And I think, especially when you when you take as as young as as relatively young as a team that the Cowboys are, when you get a guy that's won, uh, has been to an NFC Championship game, that has uh, been in the playoffs a couple of years, that has uh, consistently been a leader on a strong, uh, and in most cases, a top ten defense. Uh, I think that the Cowboys got themselves not only just a premier pass rusher, but an incredible leader that is going to take that defense to the next level. Now, as far as the Vikings defensive lines, uh, defensive line, excuse me, I'm sweating. Um, and, and the reason is now I don't, I, I am not, uh, I'm not concerned about Daniel Henry he is what he is. He's going to be the uh, fastest player ever to get to 50 sacks ever. I mean, he's going to do his thing. Uh, my more, more of my concern is on the inside. Now, Afadio Denebo is going to take over for Everson Griffin. He had eight, uh, seven sacks last year and he did not start a single game. So you saw a guy that could potentially, um, I, you're not going to replace a guy like Everson Griffin, but I think you're going to get, you're going to find a guy that comes and makes an immediate impact. I think that's exactly what Afadio Denebo does. Uh, my main concerns on the inside, like I've been saying, uh, when you when you consider the fact now Michael Pierce, um, I, I totally get his decision to opt out. I support it. Uh, football is in 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 certain players and people's lives, it is life to say, but there, there's a whole nother life that we have to go on and be able to see here. So I, I support his decision and being able to realize that. But now that leaves a gigantic call for the Vikings, who went and tried to trade for PJ Hall, who they probably could have waited. Uh, and just let the, the Raiders cut him. But at the end of the day, I like the move that Rick Spielman was trying to make. Um, but he failed his physical. My question is this. As a defensive tackle in the NFL, how do you fail a physical? Like, all you got to do is is basically, you're 300 pounds. How out of shape can you be? Like, yeah. What is the physical? Like, you have to eat uh, so many French fries within <laughs> a certain. I mean, you can't not. I don't understand it. Yeah. I, I was like, okay, I understand it. Like, uh, if he had been coming off an injury or if he had, you know, just some other issues going on. But this guy, he had actually graded higher, according to PFF, than Michael Pierce did. So I was like, okay, he's coming off a full season. Uh, he's a guy that 
maybe the Raiders didn't get the most out of him in terms of production, but if there was a coaching staff, if there was a coach that was going to get the most out of him, it was going to be Andre Patterson of the Minnesota Vikings, who completely transformed the Vikings defense. And he got the most out of Everson Griffin. He got the most out of Daniel Hunter, who was a third-round draft pick that nobody had heard of. He had two sacks in his senior year at LSU, and then now he's one of the he's the fastest player to ever reach 50. So um, I think I was thinking, okay, the Vikings can get the most out of P.J. Hall. This could be one of the biggest steals ever. But the man fails his physical. I'm like, what? The most textbook thing that you could do to like an NFL team. Or just, yeah. I was like, okay. That, and that, that's not, that's totally the Vikings' luck. So, and, and what I'm saying is, I feel like the Vikings' interior defensive line is the main concern right now. Uh, offensive line, not great, but I'm more confident in the offensive line than the defensive line interior right now. So, I mean, we, we got a bunch of nobodies. Yet. When you not not nobodies, but guys that are unproven. Excuse me. You got guys like Jalen. Uh, Jalen Holmes, who uh, was coming out of Ohio State a couple years, a lot of people thought he could he could go outside, he could go inside, but he never really panned out. Um, and then you got guys like uh, Hercules Mata'afa, who was coming off an ACL injury. Uh, he seemed to have gained some weight. People are comparing him to John Randall. Let me see the man get six, five, 10 sacks in the season, then we'll start comparing him to John Randall. So um, there's a lot of uh, – there is promise with this Vikings interior defensive line. Armand Watts uh, batted a, a Russell Wilson pass last year that uh, Anthony Harris bat, uh, returned for a touchdown. There's a lot of promise, but there's no for sure things right now in the, in the interior defensive line for the Vikings right now. Um, and you got guys like Jaleel Johnson, who I've seen some good things from. But again, a guy that uh, it was inconsistent at best last year. So I'm, I'm really hoping to see, uh, or at least answer some questions. Maybe hopefully Rick Spielman goes out and makes a move, um, trades the next ten year, uh, next next ten draft picks, first round draft picks for a guy like Aaron Donald. I know that's more of a dream, but um, you know I, I, I'm worried. I'm, I'm sweating to say the least about the Vikings' interior uh, defensive line. Yeah, yeah, I would be too if I was a Vikings fan. Um, so I kind of want to jump into our next topic. It's the, our favorite competitions um, in training camp to watch and dark, horror, dark horse roster guys that could make the roster that nobody thinks will make the roster. So uh, we can go ahead and start with Minnesota since we're on Minnesota. Colton, what are a couple of uh, really good uh, competitions you're looking forward to in this super short uh, period of camp that you get? Well, I, I, I think this is a great question to ask because we covered it on one of our podcast episodes. It's the fact that these – those, the preseason is not – It's obviously it's for the, the starters. The first three games are really mainly meant for the starters. You know, the first game they play a little bit. Second game they play almost to a half or they play a little bit more. And third game finally they play, but basically a half. So uh, in terms of what this does for um, – look, this is just a really tough offseason. And I think it – especially in terms of position battles. And I think that a lot of players are going to miss those opportunities to be able to play in those uh, those preseason games because at the end of the day, these are guys are, that are, are fighting, literally fighting tooth and nail for their roster spots in the NFL. Um, and I think that uh, it, it makes their jobs a lot harder because let's be real, the especially in this situation we find ourselves with COVID-19, I think you're going to see uh, the first team uh, on all in the NFL – all first team is uh, they're going to get the majority of the reps, unfortunately. But that's just how it goes in NFL training camp. Uh, and and that, unfortunately, that, those preseason games were the, the really the biggest chance the, those uh, the, those those roster fringe guys were going to get the opportunity to show last year. So or this year, excuse me. So I, um, in terms of roster battles that I'm most excited for, I'm, I'm looking at guys like Courtney Davis. Um, now you got to realize that he's a wide receiver that, uh, that a lot, lot, not a lot of people thought uh, would probably make it to the NFL. Or would, excuse me, would probably be drafted a lot uh, sooner and not just be a guy that was 
undrafted because it was just such a strong uh, receiver class. I mean, coming out of Texas a and Courtney Davis was a guy that uh, a lot of people, I mean, he's 6'1", 200 pounds. Uh, I thought he was more of a possession receiver. Um, but, I mean, when you look at the fact that the Vikings are getting rid of Stephon Diggs, if you look at the fact that they brought in Justin Jefferson, uh, this guy, I, I think a lot of people don't know this guy, but they're about to because uh, this guy, I've, I've watched a lot of his highlights. I've watched what he's doing in training camp already. Um, he seems to already have a rapport with most of the Vikings quarterbacks. And I think that's going to be a really interesting thing to see. I mean, Tajay Sharp, guy that was uh, – I, I think a lot of guys were impressed with him, uh, but he, I, I don't know what they thought in terms of what his impact was going to be. But I think that he's going to battle guys like Tajay Sharp. He's going to battle um, you, you know, guys like Justin Jefferson. And I think that's something you have to look out for. Uh, Justin Jefferson obviously is going to make the roster, but there's a lot of players for the Vikings that I'm really excited about. But uh, it's definitely Courtney Davis. Um, and then another um, – finally – uh, I've been saying it for years. I don't have anything against Shamar Stephan. Uh, he he's a big guy, six five, three hundred pounds in the defensive tackle spot. But he he does nothing flashy. And as NFL fans, and as as guys, you know, uh, we we probably when we see a guy that's not flashy, but he does his job, we hate to see that. We want to see a guy that's like Aaron Donald, who goes out and gets ten sacks, or uh, you know that, or like uh, Daniel Hunter that goes out and uh, gets also another ten sacks. But my point is. Uh, we, we hate seeing those guys that just do their jobs. We want to see Excel. We want to see an explosive defense. Um, I'm really excited to see what these all, all these – there's legitimately four defensive tackles that are battling Shamar Stephan for the starting job. I think it should be Armand Watts. He was a guy that uh, brings a lot in terms of the pass rush. Had, uh, I believe it was seven or eight sacks um, in 2018 for uh, the University of Arkansas. There's just so much competition in this interior defense line. So I'm sweating – but I'm also I'm optimistic. I mean, as a Vikings fan, you learn to. Uh, I think the saying goes, "You uh, you prepare for the worst, but you hope for the best." So it's it's just how it goes. But no, those are two really uh, exciting position groups that I'm really excited to see what the battles uh, you know bring. Yeah, I was gonna jump into some of Green Bay's uh, training camp battles. Obviously, the departure of Brian Bulaga is gonna be a huge, huge hit on the right side of that offensive line. They did bring in Rick Wagner who is obviously not nearly the level of Brian Bulaga was. But they got Billy Turner, who um, he played a lot of right guard. Um, he did fairly well. I wasn't super impressed with Billy Turner. But I think Billy Turner and Lane Taylor coming back is going to be a good battle for that right guard spot. That's going to be interesting to see. I personally think Lane Taylor will take back that position. And my prediction is Billy Turner gets moved out to right tackle. I don't think Rick Wagner is going to start simply because of the familiarity familiar I can't talk right now that uh that Billy Turner already has with the offense and he seems like he'd be a versatile offensive lineman so that's that's going to be an interesting little shakeup that I'm really excited to see another one um as much as I love Jamal Williams um I think the number 2 running back spot is going to be a bit of a battle during the course of the season between him and AJ Dillon um the way AJ Dillon looks and the way he runs I feel like he could be very good in this offense um, I felt the same about Dexter Williams, but I don't think that's going to come to fruition. But that's going to be an interesting one to watch um, because the way the NFL is now, if you get good running backs, I'm not saying uh, Jamal Williams is like a, a top tier running back. But if you want to keep him, you're going to have to pay him a little more um, coming up in the next couple of years. And the way that NFL offenses are working, they're just keeping young guys that they can pay dirt cheap. Um, giving running backs the massive contracts or big deals that take up a lot of cal- uh, salary cap space is not the way to go anymore. So I feel like A.J. Dillon is probably going to be the number two back what comes after this season maybe. Jamal Williams might get moved on from if Aaron Jones doesn't get moved on from. Somebody's going to go. 
Um, inside linebacker, obviously, is a good one to watch. Oren Burks, and then we just drafted that Kamal Martin out of Minnesota. Um, I obviously think Oren Burks is going to be the starter, but Kamal Martin, he can play. He can cover a little bit better than some of the linebackers we've had. So that's going to be a good position to watch. I do think Kamal Martin will get his fair share of playing time. And then another one that a lot of people don't really think about, I think, is Tyler Lancaster and Kingsley Kiki um, on that defensive line. I think that's a good one to watch. Um, Kingsley Kiki, I think, will be the starter over Tyler Lancaster. He showed some good flashes, and I just think he's – I just think he's better than Tyler Lancaster. Um, what do you think about those battles, Brady? And who do you think is probably going to pull out the starter in those battles? Well, uh, I kind of tend to agree with you that I could very easily, well, not very easily with the whole COVID situation, see A.J. Dillon uh, usurping Jamal Williams. And it really does bring up a very interesting question, you know, in terms of who does the contract go to? Because I, you know, knowing the Packers, the Packers are not, especially with a, a Matt LaFleur as head coach, are not going to break the bank for a freaking running back like some of these teams are willing to do. They're just not going to do that. But if they could retain, and you mentioned Dexter Williams as well, if, if Dexter Williams comes on and you can um, get, say, an A.J. Dillon and uh, Aaron Jones and then have Dexter Williams behind him, they could be very good for a very long time. Um as far as uh, Lancaster and Kingsley Kiki, I kind of have Kiki circled, but that's partly just because I heard Petten mention him. Um, I think we need him, Montrevious. There's always this, and I don't know if this is true, You, Colton, you can comment on the Viking side of things, but it seems like every year in the Packers training camp, whoever gets the most accolades disappears as soon as the season starts, and that was Montrevious Adams last year. And uh, so um, I am hopeful. I like what Kingsley Kiki brings. I, I was glad that we picked him. And uh, who was it? Coach Montgomery, the D-line coach, was very happy that we picked him, happy with that pick as well. Uh, so I've got him circled. And it is necessary. You know, you can't – Kenny Clark is still young, you know, but you, you, you can't just keep relying on him to play every snap, snap in and snap out, and, uh, and, and expect to have him. And you see when he gets dinged up that, that it – you know, his play suffers every, you, every elite player. I mean, you know, the play suffers when you, when you're injured, this brings me, when you're talking about Rick Wagner too, brings me to him. Cause I think a lot of it has to do with which Rick Wagner you get, you know, Rick Wagner, this is an ex Wisconsin Badger. This guy knows his position. He's very smart. Everybody has said so. He was a 70 high seventies grader when the Detroit Lions signed him and then it didn't work out. So I can see Brian Gutekunst saying, listen, you know, we don't have a lot of money, but we believe this guy, if he's healthy, can play. So, you know, hopefully he works out over there. But as far as inside linebacker, it, for my money right now, it's going to be Kirksey on running downs and Oren Burks on passing downs, or they're, they're likely going to have to have some combination. Because uh, the reason I say that is, you know, the Packers saw what they had in Blake Martinez and, and coverage they did not. <laughs> There's no mm -hmm. two ways about it. You still have to do that. That's priority. It It's not priority one in terms of the succession of downs, but it is priority one in terms of if you want to win games in the NFL, you know, I'm you, you got to be able to, to, to cover tight ends coming out of the backfield. And that, I think, was the Packers' biggest problem last year because you got guys walking into the end zone. Um, but so I think it's going to have to be kind of a combination. I think if you're right and Oren Burks becomes the starter and he can do like first and second down too, 
his problem, you know, he's to my to my mind, you know, him getting washed out is going to be a problem because he's a lighter guy, which is why he can cover. He's fast. He's explosive, though. And um, if my theory is correct, that I really think the pro- the Packers' problem in the run game was because we suck at tackling. Because we sucked at tackling when Dom Capers was there, and we had those years where we're. Uh, if that's the case, then Oren Burks might be able to pull that off, and then we might really have something. You know, the I mean, Brian Gutekunst drafted him in what the third round was he the third or the fifth, and that's too high to not get anything out of him. So then, battles that I'm looking at that kind of segues in. You know, where is Josh Jackson in this? And I don't think if he hasn't shown yet, when will he? I don't think the defense really. We don't play a lot of zone. You know, we like to man up on the perimeter. And, 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 and go press, you know, man up. And he's not that kind of a player. He never was. He wasn't in college. I don't know what we were expecting out of him, if we were expecting to adapt the defense or not. But I will say one guy, if you're going to talk about a dark horse that I think has a chance of making this team, but is really up against it, especially in a COVID situation, uh, Mark Antoine DeCoy that the Packers brought in from the CFL, um, you know, everybody talks about Reggie Begleton on the, on the offensive side of the ball as a wide receiver, and he may have a better chance, but this kid grades, I mean, he's just shy of a Kevin King. He's faster than Kevin King. He's not as big, but he's just as tall. If he can add a little weight, his explosive score is just shy of elite. His um, overall athleticism is very, very good, and he looks like a Packer, uh, Packer cornerback, right? Um, now, is it a long shot? Yeah, sure, it's a long shot. I think the key in that is if Coach Jerry Gray is this sort of cornerback DB whisperer that we think he might be, this is a kid that might might have a chance to make this team. Now, I don't see him. His short area quickness, his uh, you know his his forty yard dash is great. His twenty yard split is not. So I don't see him being a slot corner, which is really where the where the Packers have need right now. Um, but if you know, maybe the Packers look at Jair Alexander in the corner and he ends up being able to be a backup on the perimeter. Um, and if he develops a little bit, I think it's just going to be really difficult for him. But, you know, my battle to watch, I was, wasn't going to take the easy one because it's wide receiver, but I'm really looking at this defensive backs battle because, you know, we've got your perimeter assumed in Jair Alexander, Kevin King. Kevin King's in a contract year, so he's going to have every reason to just battle out. But behind that, you know, I've said all along, my biggest concern in this defense is not inside linebacker. It's who's going to be the slot corner. And we don't have an answer just yet. The assumption kind of is maybe Shannon Sullivan or whatever. But boy, if, you know, and and I'm really excited about having Gray in-house. And if we can pull off one more corner and develop a better, we've been struggling for years to get cornerbacks into Green Bay that are good enough and then to coach them up to make them where they're at. Now we got Jair Alexander. Kevin King a little inconsistent, but he's pretty good too. I'm not going to sit and complain about Kevin King. But if this new coach can raise the level of the bottom end of that room, the Packers are really going to have something in terms of their defense. But if they can't find a uh, replacement for Tremont Williams, uh, the very opposite could be the case real fast. Because, I mean, Adam Thielen is no slouch, shall we say. As much as I don't like the Vikings, you know, we could struggle very mightily in that area, but if we get the right guy, it could really be a boon for this Packers defense. Yeah, I agree. That's the whole Josh Jackson thing. I was really disappointed by that as well. He looks good on special teams, but that's literally mm-hmm. it. Yeah, he does. The pump, the pump blocking, you know, 
that's about it. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. I was really excited. I love watching him at Iowa. I watched Iowa football games a lot, and I was like, when the Packers drafted him, I was like, this guy is probably going to compete for a starting cornerback job, and he hasn't done near that. Um, so he's he's the guy I'm really hoping can step in and fill the slot role, even though he doesn't look like he will. Um, but yeah, the addition of Gray, the ex-Vikings DB coach, I think will definitely provide an element that we've needed for a while to raise well, the game. I'd love to hear Colt's comment on that too, you know, because mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure he knows him way better than we do as a coach. Mm-hmm. Well, I and, and that was one thing uh, that was a very underrating, uh, not only a signing for the Packers, but a very underrated loss for the Vikings because um, obviously Xavier Rhodes, I think, I think, feel like had a, obviously fallen out of uh, graces with the Vikings. And I feel like uh, Jerry Gray, who honestly, quite honestly, I think he was one of the better uh, defensive back coaches in the NFL for the last five years, and not just with the Vikings either. So I think not only did the Packers get themselves a steal in that regard, but you realize that he he brought Xavier Rhodes up from ever since Mike Zimmer came in and uh, you know Jerry Gray came in. They brought my, uh, Xavier Rhodes from being a guy that had a lot of promise to at one time was an all-pro, all-American, like just uh, all the accolades you could ever think of. And then obviously he had fallen off, and by association, okay, if a player falls off, probably maybe it's a coaching thing. Um, I don't think it was uh, Jerry Gray in any way. I think it was Xavier Rhodes still being uh, confused with the sign, but I think it was Xavier Rhodes losing confidence in himself, which as a, as a cornerback in the NFL, you can not do. Richard Sherman, uh, honestly, you can't lose your confidence in yourself, um, especially from uh, that, that position group. So, um, yeah, you guys, you guys got a heck of a DB coach there because not only does he um, does he exude confidence, but he also, uh, I think he he doesn't, uh, and again, he doesn't just bring out the best in the players. He brings out the, the best in the entire defense because of what he brings to a, a room, a defensive room, a defensive coaching room that is. So, um, obviously, he's gonna he's gonna raise their confidence level. He's gonna raise their um, camaraderie, but he's also He's just going to bring a lot for you guys' defensive uh, defensive room. So I'm really excited for you guys um, in that regard. I think he was a, he was a big loss, um, and I think it was unfair for him just to get the boot just because um, Xavier Rhodes um, doesn't know how to cover over the top. So I I, I just think it was kind of tough uh, to kind of see how that all that thing all shake out. But um, you know, uh, and I actually kind of had a question here for you guys um, in terms of playing small ball, as you guys put it. Eric Kendricks uh, is an All Pro middle linebacker for the Vikings, and he has been for a while. He's showed a lot of promise, but this last year he really showed out um he's six foot maybe 230 pounds obviously not a guy you know like cj mosley who's like 6'3 250 like the, the prototypical middle linebacker size the playing small ball eric Kendricks can guard tight ends he can guard running backs out of the backfield i think that uh playing small ball in that regard getting those smaller linebackers in that can just run who cares if they can put a hit on you if they can just be there in a space to cover uh whether that's a zone coverage scheme or a man coverage scheme if you could just be there in a space or on a man uh to to be there fast enough to be able to cover a running back i feel like if you guys can bring some of that out uh and some of you guys as linebackers i think that could do wonders for your defense because again uh, I, as much as I said I've hated Shamar Stefan, I've, I've loved watching him just sit there and not do anything spectacular. The one thing that the man does so well is does his job. He uh, he uh, he also does a lot for the run game, and that's uh, playing small ball uh, in the run game. I think is really underrated too. If you can get two, or in your guys' case, um, on a three or four defense. Uh, if you can get a really good inside guy like Kenny Clark to take up two blockers at a time, that frees up those smaller linebackers, if you will, to make a lot of plays in the run. So uh, playing small ball, in my opinion, 
I don't think it's a bad thing, especially if you can get the right uh, guys in there that can that can run, that know their coverage responsibility, that know leverage, that know uh, how to position themselves to, uh, again, who aren't the biggest guys, but know how to uh, put themselves in the best position to be able to guard against the tight end or guard against a running back. So I think playing small ball in this regard, um, it's, been the, it's been what the Vikings have been doing with Eric Kendricks since, uh, what, I think, 2015 when they drafted him in the second round uh, coming out of UCLA. I think there's a lot of different things that you can do with small ball linebackers, uh, even in terms of rushing the passer, coming coming around the edge, doing a lot of different stunts, um, doing a lot of different things. So I think playing small ball is, is a really – good way to really make you guys successful in the future. Yeah, I agree with you a lot. And I've said it before on other podcasts. I've praised Eric Kendricks to you. I've told you before that he's like the perfect blueprint of what you want a middle linebacker to be. He can cover. He can fill the gaps in the run game. He can he can just be wherever you need him to be. And like what you said, with playing with smaller linebackers, that's, that's really what Green Bay needs. A smaller guy who can move fast but can still hit and make tackles because – the 49ers game, what was it? It was over 150 yards before contact in the run game, I think. They were just blasting through gaping holes in the offensive line, and we couldn't get there fast enough to fill it. You don't need a guy who can get there fast enough to fill it and make a solo tackle. You just need somebody to be in their way at the right time and slow it down and just try to blow it up somehow. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what Kendricks does. Um, what do you and think about that, Brady? Well, that, that's what the Packers were hoping, I think, like you're saying. That's what the Packers were hoping they were going to get out of Oren Burks because mm-hmm. he, he's not the biggest guy, but his athleticism is all there. We just and, – and and this year will be that year for Oren Burks. I mean, this is a critical year for Oren Burks, um, but we just have not quite found that guy just yet, I think. And uh, bringing in Kirksey, that's why I feel like it's probably going to have to be some kind of a guessing game but then you play that game, and it's the same game that offenses play when they have running backs that can only run the ball but can't catch out of the backfield. Offenses are going to have an audible. If if we've got to roll out a Kirksey for the run and a Burks for the pass, that we're going to get, we're still going to get beat. So I think your scenario is the best scenario. Oren Burks comes out on the field, takes what is rightfully his. I mean, Christian Kirksey was brought in because we have no Blake Martinez, uh, but. Oren Burks was brought in to be exactly what Colton is is describing, and he was brought in by, by Brian Gutekunst, and he was brought in at a relatively high. The Packers do not draft inside linebackers in the first round, but we picked him relatively high, and if he shows out again, there's another one. You know, if you get a slot corner and Oren Burks shows out, this defense was pretty st- pretty tough last year anyway. Now Rashawn Gary is going to be having a lot more of a, he's going to have a lot more sequences than he had last year. And I think that's going to help him a great deal. Um, But boy, if you put your finger on it and it goes back to us having to watch Kendricks just kill us again and again and again. Now, part of that is, you know, at least from a Packers perspective, we've struggled to get tight ends that are just really stone cold killers since Jermichael Finley. But even with, um, you know, if Oren Burks turns out, that's going to be that's going to be huge for this defense in the second year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had another question in regards to the fact of um, not just Oren Burks in, in regards to that, but I had a question in terms of uh, the Packers' um, ability in terms of like pass rushing, like what what, what Rashawn Gary is going to do for you guys. Now, again, we've covered he's going to be a second year guy that's going to come out and ship show out a lot. But if you look at his uh, college defensive stacks when he was coming out of uh, Michigan. You look. You see a guy that um, the first year he was penciled in as a D end. 
then after that, he's a DL, meaning anywhere on the D line. This guy is so versatile. He brings any. He can bring pressure from the uh, the outside, the middle. Just because this man is not playing uh, where the Smiths are and bringing it from the outside, I think he's going to bring so much for your defense, especially in the middle of that defensive line. I think his teams don't know where he's going to line up. I think he, this could be the potential to be. And I've, I've been really high on Rashawn Gary for a long time because not just the athleticism there, but you've got a guy that's what six five two eighty. He's got size. He's got speed. He's got everything you need. If you can find a way to incorporate him anywhere on that defensive line or maybe an outside linebacker, wherever this man can play, I, I really don't see a, an offensive line in the NFL that can guard against both the Smiths and a guy like Rashawn Gary. Uh, especially uh, I, that will be something that you're gonna have, you guys should actually look look for, you know? Yeah, and Kenny Clark. But yeah, <laughs> of course, I mean, but that was, that's a given. I mean, Kenny Clark is going to do his thing. He's going to stay on the inside and do his thing. But if you can get, you know, Kenny Clark and you get uh, Rashawn Gary to maybe do stand in the gap, maybe run a little bit of a double D gap blitz like the Vikings like to do, uh, which I think is very underrated in terms of, uh, if, especially if you're an offensive lineman in this league uh, in the NFL and not knowing uh, your responsibility, that gets uh, that, that that gets exposed rather quickly, especially if you're in a double ADF thing. So you can run a lot of different things with a guy like Rashawn Gary. Right, and and in our system, you know, Rashawn Gary, you mentioned the DN, he can play in DL, DE, but he meets with the outside linebacker. So then you've got, you don't have just side to side, three tech all the way out to nine, but he can play front to back. He can, you know, he can do, like you're saying, a lot of what you guys were able to do. And a lot of, I think, what Packer fans caught a little bit of a glimpse of when Mike Pettin started standing uh, Zadarius up a little bit. Um, and that, being able to double down on that, yeah, could be a, a huge, huge benefit. Yeah, definitely questions, you know, on the Packers defense with those, those corners, the defensive backs. I'm still hoping and praying that my boy Josh Jackson pans out the way I always thought and dreamed he would. Because I got his autograph. Up here on my little black helmet. So oh, I want, sweet. I don't want that to go to waste. Uh, yeah. But yeah. I'm excited. But I guess with that, we'll kind of move into some of the more broad topics. Um, yeah. Go ahead, yeah. Colton. I'm sorry. I hate to, uh, you know, kind of uh, kind of beat a dead horse here. Can we kind of backtrack? Because I wanted to kind of go back to the, the, the Green Bay running. I forgot to I, – I, you guys were talking. I didn't want to interrupt anything. But you guys were talking about the inside and out zone schemes. Um, and I just want to say – and I, this is an opinion I've had for a while – I believe Aaron Jones had like 240, 250 carries last year. I feel like if Aaron Jones doesn't have at least 300 carries this year, the Packers should be ashamed of themselves. Because, again, we have you have a guy like Aaron Rodgers who uh, he is what he is. He's a dark horse MVP candidate or just a play MVP candidate in his younger days. Any, any Sunday. I pick him uh, any day and twice on Sundays all the time. But point is, if Aaron Jones does not have – I feel that if he doesn't have at least 300 carries – this next year, the Packers, they should be – there's something went wrong. They're either behind in games or uh, there's something went wrong. He should have at least 300 carries. What do you guys think about that? I feel that even if Green Bay's rolling and they have as good of a season as I hope they have, I don't think he'll see 300 carries. Um, partially because of the drafting of A.J. Dillon. Um, we still have Jamal Williams. All three of those guys I feel like are going to contribute a large amount. Um, I think A.J. Dillon will probably get a lot more carries than people think he's going to get um, just because there's no preseason. So you got you to gotta see these guys somehow. So they're going to get thrown into the regular season. Um, I don't think he's going to surpass the amount of carries he even had last year. Uh, I'd be surprised if he did. I think the pass game is going to be a bit more of an emphasis this year than it was last year. I think, especially with the return of the receivers and the coming on of uh, Alan Lazar, the return of EQ, 
Um, they obviously brought Malik Taylor in because it's not that we didn't have depth at wide receiver. We have a ton of young guys that are unproven. But I feel like they just want to do more with the pass game. But I do think he'll have a lot of carries, not 300, maybe about the same, less than he had this last year. And I think the Packers will be more successful in the run game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I agree with Tristan, but I don't disagree with Colton either. The 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 more you get the ball in your playmaker's hands, the better off you generally are. The only reason, well, not the only reason, there's several reasons I don't think he hits 300. Uh, one is Matt LaFleur has made it clear that he is, you know, Aaron Jones is a lighter running back and, and has been injured. And Matt LaFleur has kind of hinted at wanting to manage his reps because the, the, however, no, whatever number he of carries he gets during the season is great for his stat sheet. It's great for the fans, but it isn't necessarily the best course for him on a team that is expecting to play playoff games. So I, LaFleur has hinted at managing him a little bit. Same thing we want to do with Kenny Clark on the D line. Uh, and then I, I, with Tristan, I'll say too, depending on how AJ Dillon comes along and his development, AJ Dillon, I think could be getting some significant reps in December at Lambeau field with a view toward having Aaron Jones indoors available. And then I would add to that, the fact that if AJ Dillon develops, I, if I'm Matt LaFleur, I'm putting both of them on the field, in which case Jones might end up catching some swing passes that would, you know, water down his stat line again a little bit, um, but would still be deadly to defenses that are trying to catch up with him. This is a guy that's waving at the the Cowboys defense as he runs into the end zone last year. I mean, this guy is scary that way uh, when you get him to the perimeter. Um, and I do think we will run the ball a little bit more, uh, I think, especially, you know, in December, but... Uh, the final reason that I don't think Aaron Jones gets to that kind of a range is because, you know, you got Matt LaFleur. Matt LaFleur is going to – there are going to be uh, reps picked up by H-backs. We're going to do a lot of movement side to side. I think jo- Josiah DeGuara is going to get a few, you know, little handoffs and this and that. And then we'll do more in the slot. And, I, I, again, like Tristan said, I think we are. We still got Aaron Rodgers. The offense is going to lean more toward – letting our run game feed the off the the passing game um schemed up players wide open but we're still going to be throwing the ball a lot so and Aaron Jones you know he only had the three touchdowns catching the ball out of the backfield but he really showed himself to be good at that as well so those are the reasons I wouldn't put you know I wouldn't be at all against it if Aaron Jones has that many carries I think the Packers win a lot of games I just don't think I think Matt LaFleur is looking at it you know as a as a whole, we want to make sure we not only have him, um, and he has been injured in the past, but we want to have him at his, the peak of his powers um, when those playoffs roll around. Yeah, one thing you mentioned that I do think is going to be huge, I do think his receptions are going to increase significantly. Um, whether he is coming out of the backfield or getting uh, motioned out to the slot, we saw really good glimpses of it in Kansas City and against the Raiders last year i do think that is going to be something where his game takes a big jump i think they need to use him a lot more split out um put him in bad matchups with slow linebackers um he absolutely exposed the chiefs when he did that and the same thing against the raiders with the wheel route he caught for the touchdown and what other other receptions he had so i do think that's one area of his game his receptions will probably maybe not double this year but i think he's going to have a significantly increased number of receptions this year um, AJ Dillon, like you said, in December is going to be absolutely huge. The dude is just a little bowling ball who can just, you know, 
plow through the line, plow through people, is what it looks like he can do. So that's going to be huge in cold weather games and keeping Aaron Jones in check and um, keeping him healthy. So I'm really excited about all that. Uh, hopefully that answered your question, Colton. Yeah, this is something I I I, I'm, I come from Adrian Peterson watching this man get oh, 300 carries. Like I when I see a good running back, give it to him. Let him give him the ball. Let him do his thing. So me seeing Aaron Jones come out like he did last year, I was like, wow. Like. Obviously, the Packers got some other running backs, and of course, they have Aaron Rodgers. But I, my, I, I was thinking of it more of his, from a perspective of, okay, like you said, uh, Brady, is give it to your playmakers. You know, let them do their thing, uh, because at the end of the day, those are the guys that's most most likely are going to win the games for you. So I just, like I said, I had a deeper appreciation for running backs, especially because I mean, uh, you know, they, they have a shorter shelf life in this league, and I think it's something you have to be able to, you have to be able to uh, appreciate. Yeah. So we'll move on to this next topic. Um, it's not really Packers or Vikings, it's just NFL related. The mm-hmm. NFL, how do you guys feel about the NFL trying to find ways to get a limited number of fans into the games? And should there be any fans at all, in your opinion? I know Green Bay has already announced no fans for the first two home games of the season. In my opinion, they need to just focus on the players, the staff. I think fans should be left out of the equation for the season, time being. Um, I know it's a big hit in revenue, but I just want to get you guys' thoughts on that. I think if they just put all their focus on keeping the players, the staff, the coaches healthy, and having a season, we can do it. I think trying to figure out how to get fans into games is going to create so much of a struggle that that could lead to the death of the NFL season. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's a great question because we're literally talking about lives at stake. You know, one person walking around with this for several days you don't know who they give it to. Those people all, this is, a, I think what's lost in this whole thing is some of the mathematics that are involved in this, you know, and in just in our country alone, you're looking at what, 170,000 Americans that were here in February and maybe they died of complications, but they wouldn't have died if it wasn't for COVID. So I cannot disagree with anybody that says the NFL needs to, to eliminate the fans. The only caveat I would say is, and I haven't thought, it's a great question that I I need to think through more thoroughly. It does seem to me, if fans are willing to accept the risk themselves, that the the NFL might be able to to truly sequester the fans from any of the players. Um, So I think there is the potential of being able to go forward with that. And then you can social distance within the stadium uh, but again, it's yeah, it's a risky proposition, and 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 if if revenue wasn't involved, I don't think the NFL would hesitate. But I think you're right. I think you're putting your finger on it. The, the the NFL is going to try to find a way because of the revenue. If you can't find a replacement for that revenue, advertising in the seats or something like that, I'd kind of be surprised. Now, again, the development of a vaccine, of course, comes into play too, and um, it's going to be a fluid thing. But yeah, I certainly can't disagree with you. Just like I think Colton, you were talking about, you know, you're pretty upset about, you know, uh, who was it on your D line that uh, opted out? Um, Michael Pierce. Yeah, Pierce, Pierce. And uh, but who can disagree? You know, you 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 just these we're making very very vital and difficult decisions here. So yeah, certainly can't disagree with no fans. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's something that um, I, I think Brady was kind of hinting at too. Here is uh, if they're willing to take the risk, you know, then they obviously they they can go to the games. But um, I, this is 
Unprecedented. This is an unprecedented situation. Um, I don't think uh, nothing. Obviously, nothing in our lifetimes, and I think uh, for Tristan, I think I don't think anything in our parents' lifetimes that we've had ever or they've had to. Wait, why you wait? Why are you leaving me out of that one? <laughs> okay, sorry. And <laughs> all of our parents' situations. I didn't know. I'm how this 37. Was. I'm not old. You know. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Sorry for the subtle shot. Oh, that's, on, that's on me. Okay. On all of our parents. I did uh, say sorry I, about the old woman. <laughs> so, well, I, was, I, was, I was trying to, I was trying to lowball it. I was trying to get it under there, but no, you, you, you caught it. You still got out the park. Good for you. Uh, that's, that was, that was, I gotta take my heart medicine. I'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's on me. That's yeah. Oops. Uh, no, I think it, this is an unprecedented situation, and all of us, uh, no matter who you are, um, for the most part. I don't think any of us have ever had to deal with it, or even our parents, grandparents, whatever, have had to deal with this kind of a pandemic uh, and the effect that it has on just everybody and not just one person. Or um, So I think it's kind of, it's a rough situation uh, because not only have we not dealt with it, but uh, at the same time, trying to calibrate and make the best decision for everybody um, sometimes isn't the most popular decision. Uh, and that's just how it goes. That's how life goes. Um, but at the same time, you have to realize that there are a lot of people that are going out. I think of this as kind of like a restaurant, like the, how things are being run with restaurants. Now, um, obviously, in a restaurant, you're not going to get 70,000 people like you do in a, in a Lambeau field. But I also think that at the same time, um, you, you you get people that are a little bit more uh, that want to take that chance. That I don't want to miss out on that experience. And uh, certainly a game at Lambeau Field or U.S. Bank Stadium is not something that I can, think a lot of people want to miss out on. But if it's going to save lives, I, I don't think that uh, I don't think that we are in a position where uh, we can say, "Oh, uh, you, you, I don't think we're in a position that we can really complain about it." I think we have to look out for everybody in this situation, no matter who it is, and um, I think we really have to make sure that we 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 take a step back and realize, okay, we can watch it from home. We we can still have those parties at home with our with our friends, with our buddies, um, at the, while also realizing that this is imperative that we we keep everybody safe, we keep everybody. Um, uh, away from one another, at least for the time being, until like Brady said, it, until a vaccine is is, uh, is is created, and until uh, we can kind of maybe get a better handle on the situation. So um, I, I think it, it's almost selfish for uh, fans. I think it, it's something that for me, I I think is unfortunate. I think I've seen a lot of people call out guys like Michael Pearson, uh, other people that have, or excuse me, other players that have opted out and said, hey. Um, you know what? We're paying you a great million dollars. All this doesn't stuff. They're calling them out because they're making the best decision for them in their life, and it's unfortunate. It's a shame because they're looking out for themselves. They're looking out for their family. Um, I can't. I'm, I'm blanking on the player who I saw the tweet from the other day, but um, their their grandfather had passed away from COVID nineteen. This is life. Like this is a, a situation that we have to be able uh, to put our love for football. Pat, like we have to move past that just for a second and realize, okay. Um, could it, it potentially affect a lot of games? Yes, it could. It will. It will definitely affect a lot of games. But at the same time, um, this is fam uh, this is everybody's loved ones and family members that we're talking about. Yeah, you guys, you hit the nail on the head there, Colton. And, you know, I, I kind of saw the same thing with Devin Funches. I follow him on Instagram and Twitter. And when he announced he wasn't playing for the year, my initial reaction was anger. I was mad because the Packers need help at wide receiver. It was a good chance for Devin Funches to prove himself. And I read through all the comments that people are posting on his, his post, and they're just disgusting. Like, they try to make it all about money. You're wasting your chance. And the dude's got a family. You don't know if he's been affected by COVID-19. You don't know if his family members have been affected by COVID-19. Um, and good on him for risking his money and his career to focus on his family and his health. So 
it's it is irritating in some cer- circumstances, but it's it's life over football, and it'll always be that way. And I'm glad the players are making the best decisions for their health and their family. Well, um, if, go ahead. If I may, on the flip side of that, I think it it deserves to be mentioned. You know, because we have all respect for those who opted out, but for all these guys, for how I was surprised at how few opted out. For all these guys that said, I understand there is a risk, but I am willing to take it so that you may be entertained. That is, it, it is a, now obviously they're taken care of as well as anyone in the league. And, and the players have really been very positive about how the situation is going. But for them, there is no, there is no guarantee uh, that an Aaron Rodgers who's mid to upper 30s survives if they get it. The assumption is that they will. The percentage is definitely leaning in that direction. But these guys that didn't opt out are willing to entertain us. I know they make money, but you get $350,000 for opting out if you're at risk. You get $150,000 if you don't, and you probably got some money in the bank. So, so yeah, I mean, obviously, all respect for those who opted out. But, you know, watching these guys that are they're willing to do it, and, and so I get to watch football. I mean, man, I'm pretty glad for that as well. Amen. <laughs> yeah, one guy that really... I think it's a really good example of that is Devontae Adams. Um, yeah. I am a huge Devontae Adams fan. I got his autographed jersey up here behind me. But he's got, a, he's got a newborn baby. Mm-hmm. Um, so initially I, th- I felt like he was one of the guys that would be leaning towards opting out. If anybody, any of the Packers stars, I felt like, okay, maybe Devontae Adams. Probably not Aaron Rodgers because you know how he is with his family. I don't feel like he thinks he's going to put anybody at risk because he doesn't talk to his family. From what we understand. Um <laughs> But, yeah, Devontae Adams, um, when he got asked about it, he's just like, this is what I do. I eat, breathe, and sleep football. Like, all I want to do is play football. And I just – I respect people so much. You know, they take the risk just to entertain us, but it's just crazy. Um, and I'm so thankful that we might get a football season with our superstars like that and the decisions they made are just incredible. But – we go on to the next topic here. Obviously, Travis Kelsey and George Kittle got their big deals. Um, the biggest question I had about Travis Kelsey, I did not think they were going to be able to tra- pay Travis Kelsey this much and keep him. Um, I felt like it was either going to be like a Tyreek Hill or Travis Kelsey type of thing. But the way the contracts are looking like they're structured, with Patrick Mahomes included, it's a lot of stuff that's incorporated in the long term. Like more money is in like put towards the back of the contract. So they can really build something special for the four or five years that they've got, like with all these guys. Um, so I just don't know how Kansas City is going to manage to keep their core together when it's time to pay other pieces like Tyreek Hill. Um, I'm not sure what they're going to do about Damian Williams because he opted out, obviously. And but they drafted a running back who's very good. But I just want to get your guys' thoughts on these contracts and how teams is Kansas City the way they're structuring these contracts kind of making a blueprint for how other teams are going to try to keep their cords together for a long period of time, putting most of the money towards the back half of their contract so they can just build something for the now. Perhaps like towards the end of Travis Kelsey's contract, it was a four-year extension, I believe. Towards the end of the deal, I feel like it's really going to come back to bite them. But until that, I feel like they have the best team in the league if they can do that with their other guys. You can go ahead, Brady. Oh, yeah. Well, I think the Packers have tried that same approach for quite a quite a bit as well. But I think you got your finger on it. I mean, you know, if it was me, which it's not, thank goodness, you know, I would be very much contemplating whether I thought I could, you know, um, after that period you're talking about, that first 
two, three years, whatever it may be, is up if I can get them into a different deal. Because if they run that deal out, the next one, you you know, then you're definitely sink or swim. But I do think in the short term, that's the strategy. Um, and as far as it being a template, um, probably. I mean, I think that we've seen it's interesting because you have a young quarterback. That's the template now. It's if you can get your quarterback and get him on a you get your fifth year option as a first rounder, you get all these benefits. Why do you think the Packers pick Jordan Love? That's part of it. Um, uh, but then they, they paid him, you know, they paid him well, but yeah, I mean, I think kicking a little of that can down the road, um, is, is a pretty good idea, I guess. And I I do see, I think you're right. That's how, what Kansas city's up to, but you're also right that that can cause problems down the road. I would just be, if there were some conversations up front that maybe something could be reworked once they hit that point, but then if it can't, you're really at an impasse, I think. I think Kansas City is doing kind of almost uh, what a what the Vikings are trying to do in terms of uh, creating a better uh, almost shining like their future. Vikings did a great job, especially under Rick Spielman, of getting a lot of their players under contract. Um, and obviously, they lost out on some guys, guys like Linval Joseph. Um, and it, it's obviously pretty tough. Uh, to, it's a tough thing to be able to look say, okay, well, are we setting our, t- our team up for the best uh, in the future? I still feel like that with the way that the Kansas City Chiefs are doing it, they have, like you guys said, they have their quarterback. They have their way of uh, of succeeding for the most part in this league. But what about these other pieces? I love the what they did with Chris Jones. I love what they did with Travis Kelsey. But at the same time, with how COVID is going to especially affect the, uh, the the cap situation looking moving forward, it's kind of uncertain. Obviously, with the less, uh, with the less of a um, fans next year. That's obviously going to really affect the cap situation. Um, but at the same time, uh, how much is it going to affect it? Really, we don't know. We have no idea. So I think um, that putting a little bit more of that money towards uh, the back end of their contracts is obviously the way to go. Kind of letting them know, hey, um, none of us could have a job next year. We don't, we don't know what's going to happen. So I think that that's the way they had to go about it. But I love it. I feel like uh, the, the Kansas City Chiefs are doing a lot of what the Vikings did, a lot of other what other good winning teams did as well. Like, uh, even teams like the Packers of what they do of in terms of keeping their core players around uh, and trying to maintain those guys. And in some cases, if they have to, uh, almost tell, tell some of those players, hey, we'll, get, we'll take care of you, but for the time being, I need you, we need you to take this contract just because – um, you know, we, we could potentially win a Super Bowl. So I think um, the Kansas City Chiefs are doing a great thing, but at the same time, uh, like you said, Tristan, Tyreek Hill's a good player. I think he's going to obviously want his money as, as well as Damian Williams. Uh, there's a lot of things that uh, the Chiefs still have to take care of, but I still love the fact that they're taking care of one of the best tight ends in football. Yeah, the number two best tight end in football, in my opinion. I love George Kittle. I loved watching him in college. I'll always think he's better. Just my biased opinion. But, uh, thank you. <laughs> but I do think George Kittle is way more valuable to the 49ers than Travis Kelsey. In my opinion, because the Chiefs have so many. I mean, they have Patrick Mahomes, considerably the best quarterback in the league right now. Um, they have Tyreek Hill, superstar wide receiver. They have Sammy Watkins, who to some is a superstar wide receiver. He's very good. And the, the 49ers, they really only have Kittle. Like, he's your only superstar on offense, per se. So they had to pay him that kind of money to keep him. Um, we'll go ahead and move into this next little thing. 
The Seattle Seahawks cut their undrafted free agent cornerback, Kamas Siverin, after he was caught on video sneaking a female visitor disguised as a player into the team hotel. Um, personally, I love the fact that they cut him immediately. It just It's just setting a tone, letting the players know we're taking this thing seriously. If you try to break the rules, um, we're not bending any rules for you. We're cutting your ass. And I think it's good that they did that to an undrafted free agent out of anybody because they're not taking a loss cutting that guy. Um, he might not even have made the roster, but I think just setting a good example and setting a tone to that was super cool. So I kind of wanted to know what you guys thought about that. I mean, it sucks for the guy who got cut, but it's I'm, I'm glad it happened. Mm-hmm. I'll go ahead here. It was actually in the gym when it happened, and I was, you know, I got done with my set. I was walking. There's a TV uh, above the water fountain, which I drink way too much. I got to bring my own water bottle. Um, but the point is, uh, I, I was working out, and I was actually thinking about that before I headed to the gym. I was like, I wonder if anybody's actually tried that, uh, if they've actually tried sneaking in a woman. It's just a question you know, I was wondering. Um, and I remember looking up, and I'm like, huh, well, there's my answer. And uh, I, I immediately I was like, I – I have so much respect, an immense amount of respect for Pete Carroll, um, for what he does for that football team, the, the attitude he brings, the players that he brings in. I have such an Im- immense amount of respect for Pete Carroll. So for me to see uh, them immediately cut him, um, I felt like this was honestly the best thing, uh, the, the best foot forward they could, uh, the, the message they could send for their team is like, okay, it's not, it's not acceptable. Uh, this is, this is, if you want to win, you and if you want to be a part of this team, uh, this is behavior that's not going to be tolerated. So I, I for one, am I'm extremely glad that uh, that that he got. I'm not glad that he got cut, but I'm glad that they set the example. Obviously, this is a man's livelihood we're talking about uh, and a man's way of life. So uh, I'm not I'm not glad in that regard. I, I hope he finds his way in with another team. I hope I hope he learns from this mistake, um, and I hope he if he takes the lesson in this. But at the same time, uh, I, I still have, it just shows me you what kind of a coach Pete Carroll is, uh, and it just really shows what kind of the organization that the, the Seahawks have created. Uh, honestly, the, the, the Seahawks a while ago, maybe I think as early back as 2009, they were a, 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 a franchise that you were, didn't know what the, the direction they were heading in. You didn't know what they were going to do, I and mean, then they just started winning games and won Super Bowl, obviously. Um, they just, just just beat Peyton Manning up in that Super Bowl, too. So, um, I mean, I, th- I still think that this is just such a great reminder to fans as to who the Seahawks really are. Yeah. Um, um, you know, he was he was a rookie, and uh, but I did not know what his age was, so I looked it up, and he's 23. I've been saying ever since this thing started, watch out for the rookies. Watch out for those that are below 25 years old. The human stages of development, the prefrontal cortex does not develop fully until sometimes 25 years old. And that is your delayed gratification center. So these are the guys, teams that are relying on rookies might see more losses. And I would expect more of these veteran players. And that's part of the reason that a guy like Devontae Adams, who has a child, he's still going to be able to delay what he needs to do to get himself safe for his kid. But this guy, yeah, I mean, you, you can't you can't mess with people's lives and teams' viability moving forward. It, it needed to be done. Whoever was the first one to um, to pull this little stunt, and this was an obvious stunt. This wasn't like he, you know, he was late for curfew coming back. He just didn't look at his watch. This was him sneaking someone else in that they have no idea where they had been. Um, so, yeah, I completely agree with it. There's, I mean, 
developed, fully developed brain or not, there are certain things if you want to be an NFL football player, you're going to do and certain things you're just not, or you have to suffer the consequences. And he did. Yeah, really good. Cool. All right, so we'll kind of jump into our last topic to close out the show. Um, it's went a bit longer than I anticipated. Um, our way too early 2020 NFL MVP picks and dark horses to win the NFL MVP. Last year, I got completely screwed over on my prediction. I picked Andrew Luck or Carson Wentz. Um, but we'll go ahead and give it another shot. Um, if you guys want to go ahead and make your predictions first, Colton. Um, I said at the beginning of the show, especially if the Packers find a way to uh, run the ball a little bit more, uh, maybe balance themselves out. On, well, they're actually pretty balanced on offense, but what I'm saying is uh, if they can find a way for Aaron Rodgers to become a little bit more comfortable, I think it's Aaron Rodgers. I think this is a guy that um, a lot – I think he, not only the whole Jordan Love – again, we're going to throw that out there. That's a that's a cliche home run that you can obviously hit on Aaron Rodgers right now. I think in terms of uh, how motivated he's going to be, how more comfortable he's going to be in this situation, um, and I think uh, – also, the motivation of trying to prove some people wrong because I don't. It's not just us. Everybody's saying this about Aaron Rodgers that he's he's tapered off a little bit towards. I think he's going to be motivated. I think he, this is a this could potentially be a season in which he throws over thirty five touchdown passes. Um, and honestly, I don't think he's. It's been a while since we've seen an Aaron Rodgers that threw what forty five touchdown passes since the, the the year they won the Super Bowl. So I think that you're going to see some of the old Aaron Rodgers this year. Now, again, I don't think you're going to obviously see all of them. Uh, the game catches up with you pretty quick, especially the NFL. Um, but at the end of the day, I do expect Aaron Rodgers to come out this next year. Um, and unfortunately, oh, it's going to be a tough year for the NFC North team and plus the rest of the NFC because I think Aaron Rodgers is going to come out next year um, and, and remind people, hey, I've been the guy for a while now. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm scared. Um, but also at the end of the day, you'd be foolish not to pick Patrick Mahomes, but I'm, I'm kind of going for the, the, the less liked and less, um, less sought out prediction here. So I, I think Aaron Rodgers could be in, potentially be in for a really big season. Yeah, I'm I'm going to go really really dark dark horse. That's what I have yeah, no Mahomes is even in the picture and I don't even have Aaron Rodgers in the picture cuz I think there's a very good chance but um so I'm going to throw Matt Stafford at you guys and this is a team that brought on Swift has been looking for a running game and still has beat the Packers like a whipping boy at times. It's just craziness. Packers didn't lead against the Lions for one second of either of those games this past year. And Matt Stafford has, and Matt Stafford didn't even play one of them. Now, the part of the reason I can say that is because if it's MVP, it's just, it's just personal accolades. So the team doesn't have to win games necessarily. If, if Stafford goes out and is able to beat the Green Bay Packers and has a great game and it's slightly better than Aaron Rodgers and Aaron Rodgers is playing at the level we think he should be, I think he might get some play. Again, it's dark horse time, but that guy was playing really well last year. And I was saying, listen, we better watch out for the Lions. They look like they might be for real this time around. Of course, I'm never going to believe that because they're the Lions. <laughs> but Matt Stafford, I think, is one of the most underrated quarterbacks in the league. And the way he plays against the Packers, I think, might get him some um, – I might get him noticed. Now, if he plays against the Packers and they split or find a way to win both of those games, they've got a chance of being in the playoffs. There's going to be more teams in the playoffs. If he gets the Lions to the playoffs, does he not deserve at least – and he plays, again, he's going to have to put up mad stats. But you bring in a running game with Jonathan Swift now rather than what they've had in the past, which is you know broken down and, and, and over the hill. Um, he has a dangerous wide receiver group in front of him. And 
presumably, I don't know anything about the situation, but you've got to assume that the Detroit Lions have taken steps, maybe you know what they are, to get better at right tackle, right? Because they offloaded Rick Wagner, who the Packers now have. If they pull that stunt off and the right pieces fall in place, I honestly think as a dark horse, Matt Stafford could start getting some serious. He could have, you know, Patrick Mahomes saying, listen, you know, this guy's playing good football. Um, and potentially be in the conversation, especially if he can. I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think the Lions, you know, the Lions defense, I think, is going to be the problem. But if he could find a way to eke them into a that, you know, one of those playoff spots, um, again, I'm not predicting it. I think it's a major dark horse, but the guy plays the game of football pretty well. I like that. That's that's a good dark horse pick. I don't know if you got a chance to listen to uh, the Kyle Brandt podcast. He had Aaron Rodgers on. Um, he dropped the whole episode a couple of days ago, and I listened to it. And they asked, they asked Aaron Rodgers, who's your biggest rival? Like, obviously, the media makes, you know, the Vikings, the Bears, the Seahawks, big Packers rivals. And Aaron Rodgers immediately said Matt Stafford. Matt oh, Stafford. Wow. Matt I didn't Stafford. hear that. Yeah, no. I heard the short version, but I didn't hear the whole one. So go ahead. No, he said Matt Stafford every year, he said, is the toughest guy to play against. Um, and it's just, he just said he's severely underrated. And he said as soon as they, they start to get things going, he, he even said exact same thing you just said. Matt Stafford's going to get a lot of recognition if he continues to play the game as good as he does play it. And he's got a dangerous receiving group. Um, they just drafted uh, that corner. Was that Okuda? Yeah. Um, which looks like he can be an instant impact playmaker um, yeah. that they need on the outside, especially against Aaron Rodgers and his division. Replacement um, Slay, though? That's the ultimate question we have to ask. Right. Myself. Yeah, in the first year, I don't think so. I think long-term, he's going to be a great player. But, yeah, I think it's at best, like, especially with COVID, at best like a one-to-one trade-off. But, but they did. Here's the thing. You guys can comment on this. I think the biggest mistake, I think the I, – I told from months before the draft, if the Detroit Lions can't parlay that pick into multiple draft picks, and you look at the value they could have got, the fact that they failed, they could have gotten multiple – amazing picks and really retool that defense the the Jeff Okuda pick is a great pick but it's just one guy to replace one guy yep. and I think they failed miserably to not parlay that into a significant draft I look at what I mean Stefan Diggs leaves the Vikings you guys took in a boatload mm-hmm. I mean that was a great draft for you guys but I think that was a failing on Detroit's part mm-hmm. well I think it's kind of a tough thing to I mean it <laughs> It's honestly how the GM works, if you ask me. I think Rick Spielman, they call him Slick Rick for a reason. He's always trying to get the bigger deal, always trying to get a, a lot of draft picks. The Vikings came away with 15 draft picks this year, so I think um, that there's some GMs that are a little bit more a uh, little bit more conservative, but guys like Slick Rick who, who are always trying to stockpile picks, even for the next year's draft, I think it's one of those things where you have to realize, okay, well, uh, that's just how those GMs are. But I, I completely agree with you. Um, there were a lot of, I felt like there was a lot of good corners and a, a definitely a lot of good defensive players in this draft that could have potentially made their way to the Lions had they done that. I think that would have been, that would, that's interesting to look at because if you consider, yeah, they probably would have missed out on Jeff Okuda, but I mean, you could, I mean, the Vikings drafted Jeff Gladney in the first round too. So I think there's a lot of different corners that they could have went with, maybe even in later rounds that, uh, you know, if, even some prospect guys, you, you teams bring in free agents, they bring in second round, third round guys all the time that end up being better than a first round draft pick. That's the draft. That's how it works out. Whether it's uh, that the, they're more talented than somebody else, but they have some they had some issues in college, whatever it is. So I I, th- I definitely agree with you there. It could have been something uh, that really could have retooled their entire defense, but at the same time, 
They could have missed out on it. Jeff uh, Okuda seems like he could be a, a true blue chip player, though. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, as far as my dark horse player, I think I will put Aaron Rodgers as my dark horse. I don't think anybody thinks he's going to win MVP, um, except for David Bakhtiari and James Jones and probably and Aaron Hall. And yeah. Colton Hall and Aaron Rodgers himself. Um, I feel like they put a big chip on his shoulder that hasn't been there in a while. I feel like he's been pretty complacent um, the last few years in Green Bay. There's not really been much to push him, I guess, to say. But drafting Jordan Love, obviously, he knows. He said on the Kyle Brandt podcast, I think they're going to move on from me. They want to play Jordan Love. It's the fact. They, they traded up and drafted him. I am not by any means advocating my spot. And I just feel like, like David Bakhtiari said, they just lit a fire under his butt, and he's probably going to play out of his mind. He, David yep. Bakhtiari thinks he's seen Aaron Rodgers with the chip. He's going to be heated, and he's going to go out and just be Aaron Rodgers. He's still a freak. He still makes freak throws um, off his back foot, throwing across his body, doing things he's done his whole career. He might be a little less mobile now, but he can still throw on the run best in the league um, mm-hmm. next to Patrick Mahomes. He can throw on the run very well. Um, but Aaron Rodgers, I feel like if those receivers come into their own, like Alan Lazard has, and MVS takes his step, the run game develops, the, the offense is going to be absolutely deadly. I feel like Aaron Rodgers is going to use a lot of his play-calling freedoms and change a lot of stuff to passes just to show Matt LaFleur and Brian Gutekunst, I'm still the guy. I'm finishing my career here. You're not getting rid of me. Like, this is my football team. The NFC North is my division. And I feel I really hope we see that Aaron Rodgers come out and throw 30-plus touchdowns, and I really think he can still do it physically, and I think he will. But my my pick for MVP, I hate to say it, I despise the guy, um, Tom Brady. I hate, I hate to say it. He's got the weapons in place. He's still got a good arm. I feel like it's hard to pick against him, unless you're going to pick Patrick Mahomes or Lamar Jackson again. McCaffrey could possibly be in the conversation like he was this last year. Aaron Jones will get overlooked again. He'll probably score a lot of touchdowns, but I don't think he'll be in that same conversation as McCaffrey. Um, but Tom Brady, when they put the weapons around him that you just put around him, I mean, in New England, he had, what, one weapon? He had Julian Edelman and some some great value running backs. Not great value running backs, but he doesn't need good players. Um, he can take team to the Super Bowl with Julian Edelman and Rob Gronkowski, who is good, and I just think the weapons they put around him there, Bruce Arians is a very good quarterback coach, um, probably one of the more underrated quarterback coaches in the league. I think Tom Brady will probably throw 40-plus touchdowns and probably win MVP the way it's looking, as much as I hate to say it. I hope the Buccaneers fail. I hope Tom Brady doesn't succeed in Tampa Bay, but I do think it's going to happen. Um, I also kind of think that this could be one of the first years that we see hope maybe a defensive player. Now, I've, I've already mentioned like three times in this podcast, but Aaron Donald, if you want to talk about a defensive player that has some of the biggest impact on teams, that honestly, that plays one of the toughest positions when you consider he's getting double teamed, sometimes triple teamed, and still producing double-digit sack seasons. Now, the reason I say this is when I think of Aaron Donald, I didn't think he was that ripped. Like, I, I, I felt like he, he was big. Uh, he, he was big. Like, there's obviously, as a defensive tackle, you have to be big in the NFL. But I saw him. He was putting on a shirt at training camp. I was like, this guy yeah. is a guy that um, he's what, a solid 290, 300 pounds, but it's all muscle. Yeah. Like, this is a John Randall 2.0 situation. Um, so I remember just seeing I was like, wow. Like, this guy, 
uh, head to toe. There might not be an ounce of fat on this guy. So when I realize failing any physicals, no. <laughs> oh my god! If he fails a physical, the rest of the night. Uh, I saw. Yeah, that guy looks like a freaking bodybuilder. I was like, I, and it's incredible because the fact that he can still maintain some sort of athleticism and he can still, uh, how fluid and athletic he is still. I'm just like, this is incredible. This guy was literally sculpted in the defensive tackle shop. Like, you you can't get any better than this guy. So I, I realized that. And just from, like I said, just getting double teamed, you know how, you, it made me realize how hard it is to get a sack as a defensive tackle. Like, you have to you have to know some stuff. You have to be able to do some hand moves, have some wiggle to you. I mean, sometimes just bull rush a dude. And I mean, Aaron Donald does all those things. So hopefully Maybe we and maybe it's not even Aaron Donald. Maybe it's a guy like um, I, I can't even think off the top of my head. Maybe a defensive player that's more deserving than Aaron Donald. Um, but maybe hopefully maybe it's the first uh, you know one of a uh, one of the first times, or maybe it's a, a very few times that we've seen a defensive player uh, absolutely get MVP. So I don't know. Yeah, I'm with it. That'd be so cool. Uh, I love Aaron Donald. He's a freak. To see him win MVP would definitely. Change the way voting is done. I think it would kind of transform the way the voting is done. If we see one, just one defensive player, even a damn running back win MVP finally, instead of quarterback after quarterback after quarterback, mm-hmm. that it needs to happen, and I kind of hope it does. So yeah. that'd be really cool. And I don't think there's anybody more deserving on defense than Aaron Donald. So that'd be super cool. Yeah, I feel like, I feel like the last defensive or the last running back that won it was it Adrian Peterson back in 2012. Maybe I don't know. It's been a while um, since I've actually seen a running back do it. Um, but, but yeah. Anyway, yeah, that's that's who I think deserves it if you're if you're talking about defense, anyways. Yeah, for sure. Well, with that, we're probably going to go ahead and wrap up the uh, episode. Now we went quite a bit longer than I thought we would. Usually, these take about an hour, an hour and fifteen, but this one went way over. A huge thank you to Brady taking the time out of your day to do this with us. Brady, let them know uh, where they can follow you. Yeah, you can uh, look up the Facebook fan page, facebook.com forward slash Green Bay Packer Nation. I'm at YouTube at YouTube dot com forward slash Green Bay Packer Nation and then my Insta is at the Green Bay Packer Nation because there's a lot of Packer Nation Instas out there. I do have a new YouTube show coming up soon called the Packer Bond. I'm going to be going around doing adventures and trying to put together a Packer show that is both visually appealing and appealing in terms of talking about the Packers. And any show that's got me on it is de facto not visually appealing. So we're going to go out. We're going to Go out, take hikes. We're going to see waterfalls. We're going to cook. We might make some different recipes. We might meet some Packer people. We might go to Packer bars. But it's going to be called the Packer Bond. I'm pretty excited about it. Haven't had to do a post-produced video, is which is why my YouTube channel is so small for many, many years. But I'm kind of looking forward to getting my fingers in that pie again. Well, hey, if you're looking to do some traveling, you'll have to make a trip up to the Black Hills here in South Dakota, do some hiking up there. A lot Haven't of been there for a long time. Absolutely gorgeous area, man. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, as always, Colton, uh, you know what it is. Yeah. Thanks you know for uh, your good input today, and hopefully we can get Brady back on soon. Absolutely. Um, until next time, peace out.